The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, February 8th. It's the day before the launch of the new book, Vaccine Epidemic, How Corporate Greed, Biased Science, and Coercive Government Threaten Our Human Rights, Our Health, and Our Children, edited by Mary Holland Esquire and Louise Kuohabakis. Vaccine Epidemic, published by Skyhorse Publishing, examines the ethics, law, and science in support of vaccination choice. I'm Terry Aranga, and my guest today is Mary Holland. Mary is an NYU law professor and director of the Graduate Legal Studies Program at New York University School of Law. She is a founding board member of the Center for Personal Rights and of the Elizabeth Burt Center for Autism Law and Advocacy. Welcome, Mary. Thank you for joining us today. Terry, thank you for having me. Mary, let's begin by addressing the two most salient points. One, what is the main problem your book suggests? And two, what is the main solution your book suggests? Um, Well, I think the main problem is really in the title and the subtitle, and that is that vaccines have just become uh, so prevalent, so widespread, so used as a first recourse, and that it's complicated. These are profitable products. This is all about sort of corporate bias, uh, bottom line. There's bias science, and the government can use coercion uh, around vaccines. So the problem is that uh, they're epidemic and that people don't really have choice and that there are problems associated with vaccines. They are not miracles. Um, the main solution that the book um, suggests is education. We all need to learn more about vaccines. They are not without side effects or, with you know, they're not miracles. And there has to be choice. We, we strongly come out in favor of choice. We are not anti-vaccine. We support people who elect to have vaccines. We also support people who elect not to have vaccines. From our perspective, the most important issue is choice. This is a health intervention like any other, and it should be subject to individual choice with consultation of a healthcare practitioner. Very good. Now, I was planning on asking you about um, vaccine court later in in the show, but I'm just going to key off of something that you just said. You mentioned the word profitable, Mary, but so often we hear that um, if if children with legitimate vaccine injuries, and we do know that that can occur, have their day in court, that it's going to make these poor pharmaceutical companies, these poor vaccine manufacturers go bankrupt. Is that the case? Not at all. Um, One of the most important things to understand about the vaccine epidemic in the United States is that it has been fueled by U.S. federal law. In 1986, Congress passed a law, the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Compensation Act, um, which gave vaccine manufacturers limited liability, and it allowed for a government agency, basically an administrative tribunal, to pay out money for damages for vaccine injury. So there's limited liability for corporations. It's supposed to give compensation to kids who are injured, and the law is supposed to make vaccines safer. But the main thing that happened is that manufacturers got limited liability, and that has led to an explosive growth of vaccines in the United States. 
is there any other consumer product that enjoys such protections? Not that I'm aware of, Terry. <laughs> Not that I'm aware of. That there's both coercion. There are mandates for children uh, to be to, in order to go to school. You have to get vaccines, and there's limited liability for the corporation, so that they're not accountable in the first instance for their product. I'm not aware of any other consumer product like this, and, and I think that the legal structure here is fundamental to the problems that we have. It seems like a recipe for disaster, and also, I might add, isn't there a tax on vaccines or some sort of surcharge that's paid into that compensation program? And I've also heard, if that's true, if there is that surcharge that goes into the the compensation program that's supposed to help the kids, that the very money that's supposed to help the kids who've been injured has been used against the kids, litigating against the kids. Um, on every vaccine that is sold, Terry, there is a 75-cent surcharge. So, in essence, there's a kind of a mutual insurance scheme. When people are paid out of the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, they are not being paid out of government taxpayer funds. It's a special vaccine injury trust fund that they're paid out of. Um, those funds are meant to be used exclusively to pay for to pay victims. Uh, there's questions about whether those funds have been used exclusively for that. But the, every uh, alleged case of vaccine injury is brought by a petitioner. Uh, the legal fees are paid for that petitioner, but the, um, but the case is defended by the Department of Justice on behalf of Health and Human Services. So the government takes an adverse position to every claim of vaccine injury. So it's, it's, it's a very adversarial uh, setup. It wasn't intended to be. It was intended to be simple. It was intended to be generous. Congress intended that this would be really, you know, that kids would be paid out because they were injured in the line of service. That's not how it's played out. The way it's played out is that it's extremely adversarial and that any paid claim really kind of uh, challenges the assertion that all vaccines are safe and effective. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, not that I haven't done it already, but let's digress some, some more for a few minutes here um, from your book for a few questions. This week, many people viewed the statement by Bill Gates talking to Sanjay Gupta on CNN, implicating not just researcher Dr. Andrew Wakefield as a child killer, but other advocates who believe in the right to choose whether to use vaccines. What's your take on this? I have to tell you, Terry, I was quite outraged by Bill Gates' statement. I think it was uh, arguably hate speech to call not only Andrew Wakefield, but all people who assert a link between vaccines and autism as being child killers. Uh, that is just, that is just irresponsible. It is irresponsible public discourse. There is no question that vaccines cause injury. There is no question that vaccines can cause autism. That's what the Hannah Polling concession was about by the U.S. government, by Health and Human Services. The, you know, Bill Gates also said that vaccines are miracles. They're not miracles. Um, they're not always safe and effective. I think people who promote vaccines see them as having had an enormous impact on public health. I, you know, I think there's, there's some support for that proposition, but there's no support for the proposition that vaccines never cause harm. And there's, there's, there's no support that they never cause autism. We do know cases where they cause autism. Not only Hannah Poling, but some of the other published cases from the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program conclude that vaccines caused autism. So I think Bill Gates, sadly, is rather misinformed on this aspect of vaccines. I really like uh, your turn of phrase there, Mary, irresponsible public discourse. And Julie Gerberding, when she was head of the CDC, said to Sanjay Gupta, quote, now we all know that vaccines can occasionally cause fevers in kids. So if a child is immunized, got a fever or other complications from the vaccines, then if you are predisposed with a mitochondrial disorder, it can certainly set off some damage. Some of the symptoms can be symptoms that have characteristics of autism, end quote. Mary, would this not signal that caution on the part of parents would be called for, and and our connection's fading in and out. So could please speak into the phone. 
Sorry, Terry. Uh, yes, of course parents should be cautious. Ca- parents are responsible legally for the best interests of their children. Parents have to make the health care decisions for their kids. In our book, Terry, we have a copy of the vaccine schedule that the Center for, Centers for Disease Control recommends on one side of the page. And on the other, we have a copy of the vaccine injury table, which is part of this 1986 law that I told you about. There is just no question. There is no debate that vaccines can cause death. They can cause brain damage. They can cause anaphylaxis. They can cause arthritis. There's just no question about these things. So I just find it rather extraordinary that public health officials are not as truthful as they really have an obligation to be to say, you know, it may be rare, but vaccines can cause serious, severe injury. And does Bill Gates have a conflict of interest? Terry, I don't know that he has a financial conflict of interest. I don't know that. Um, What I do know is he seems to be seeking his legacy in human terms in the eradication of polio. Um, And, you know, even in the New York Times, which generally is very um, pro-vaccine in its outlook, even they questioned this past week his eradication program of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation because polio is not the gravest infectious disease threat in the developing world. It's not even in the top 20, they quoted uh, a public health person as saying. So I certainly think he has a conflict with respect to what he seeks to achieve. Whether or not he has a financial conflict of interest, I don't know, but I certainly think it bears further scrutiny. A lot of people wonder why he just doesn't take all of that money and clean up the water and give the people food. I think it's a good question. I I think there's a... There's a fascination in the United States with the quick fix, and I see Bill Gates' fascination with vaccines and the eradication of polio as a kind of a fixation with the quick fix. I read that, you know, that he sometimes they, they want to give kids 10 doses of oral polio vaccine because it, 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 two doses or three doses aren't going to be enough. Well, you have to ask, would it be better to simply do what you're saying, help people get real sanitation and get good nutrition? Um, I think he's after a quick fix. No, good grief. Isn't polio, sh- uh, for recipients of the oral polio vaccine, isn't then polio shed in the feces? It can be. There's no question, Terry, that in at least one in a million or one in two million cases, somebody will get polio from the oral polio vaccine. There's just no question about that. Oh, my goodness. And and then compound that with poor sanitation in the areas where they're giving that. Well, that sounds like another recipe for disaster. Let's pick up when we come back from break here at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel with Mary Holland. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. 
The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with NYU law professor Mary Holland, who is the co-editor of the new book, Launching Tomorrow, Vaccine Epidemic, How Corporate Greed, Biased Science, and Coercive Governments Threaten Our Human Rights, Our Health, and Our Children. Please look for this at Amazon.com, and please also look at VaccineEpidemic.com. Mary, I get phone calls, and people are wondering if Seth Mnookin's new book is fraught with errors in fact. Have you heard anything about this, or do you feel his book reflects the state of vaccine science? Terry, I've read Seth Mnookin's book, and I am very disappointed in the book on on many levels. Um, I think it's essentially a kind of an ad hominem set of attacks against people who question vaccine safety. And I think that's sad. I mean, if you want to make a case that vaccines are safe and effective, there are constructive ways to do that. His approach is not a, a constructive one. It's destructive. But that said, there are many very serious errors in his book. He says, for instance, that that there's no evidence supporting a link between childhood inoculations and developmental disorders. That's just false. I mean, I just read you from the vaccine injury table. We know that vaccines can cause brain damage. That means it can cause mental retardation. It can cause seizure disorders. It causes developmental disorders in some children. There's just no question about that. He says that that mercury, that that thimerosal was side effect free. I mean, if you just go into PubMed and you put in thimerosal and side effects, you come up with almost 600 articles about thimerosal and side effects. Uh, He says that autism has never been uh, found to be um, an injury from vaccines in the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. Again, that's just false. There are published decisions that have found that autism is a result of vaccine injury. He also says that the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System has never had any reports of autism in it. Again, that's just plain false. There, there are many cases of autism having been reported as a vaccine side effect in VAERS. So he's just made some major mistakes. And the tone is just vitriolic, Terry. And I, I again, I would, I would argue that it's really irresponsible public discourse. I have no objection with somebody making a strong, staunch argument in favor of vaccines. But that's not what he's done. He's targeted people like Bill Gates, alleging that they are the problem. It's because they criticize vaccines that there's any problem in this country with infectious diseases. And that's just silly. To me, that is just a silly argument. What about Paul Offit? How do you feel about his accusations? Um, I read Paul Offit's book, too, Deadly Choices, and I think it's a better book than Seth Mnookin's. I think it's more careful. I think Dr. Offit does know his uh, he, he does know his stuff on vaccines. It's similarly very, um, I think it's pretty mean spirited towards people who've been critical of vaccines. Um, but I think there's an interesting part to Dr. Offit's book is at the end, he acknowledges that um, it is extremely unlikely that states in this country are going to undo the religious exemptions that we have. 48 states permit parents to um, to to get a religious exemption for their child so that they do not have to vaccinate in accordance with their religious beliefs. And he acknowledges that it is extremely unlikely that that would be undone. And so he's really saying, you know, he, he really acknowledges that he has to persuade people of the power of his position. I don't think his book does that. But, but he does acknowledge that there is choice and that it is going to take um, persuasion to change the situation. But so this is an issue that's bigger than autism. 
So let's go yeah. back. To, let's go back to your book, Vaccine Epidemic, and let's talk about some people whom you highlighted and start with Amy Pingle and her daughter Zita, a Gardasil tragedy. Yeah. Um, let me just say, Terry, that in the book, um, the, the, the second part of the book are six personal narratives about vaccine injury. And one of the things that we think is that the stories of vaccine injury have been silent, that because we have so much really propaganda that vaccines are safe and effective, that the stories of people who have been harmed have been squelched, that, that they're just not stories that the public is willing to hear or that the media has been willing to transmit. So we say that we're breaking the silence about vaccine injury, and, and certainly we include stories about autism, but we include others like the, the case of Zita Pingle. Um, and it's a tragic story. This is a mom who wants to do right by her kids. She's a single mom. She has four kids. She takes her oldest child, her daughter Zita, to get a vaccine. The doctor says, I think your daughter should get Gardasil. I think Amy, the mom, really didn't even know what it was for, but her doctor said, take it, and she thought, I'm a good mom, and I want what's best for my daughter. And her daughter, within a couple weeks, um, started to, to get seizures and basically became paralyzed, lost the ability to speak, and now lives in a bed in their living room. And we include not only the story of Amy Pingle, which is a very eloquent story, but we include pictures of Zeta Pingle before and after her vaccine. And um, we also include, Terry, the vaccine information sheet that... Amy Pingle and her daughter Zita should have been given. I don't even know that they were given the vaccine uh, information sheet. But if you look at the vaccine information sheet for the human papilloma virus vaccine, you know, you see that Amy and Zita would have had absolutely no idea that this kind of side effect was possible. And I think Amy says, you know, if she had had any idea that she was undergoing this kind of risk, for her daughter, she wouldn't have done it. And I think that's really, um, I think that's very important, that one of the things that's a problem about this 1986 law that I mentioned, Terry, is that we don't have real informed consent for vaccines. It's enough for doctors to give people these vaccine information statements that the Centers for Disease Control prepares, and they are essentially meant to uh, encourage people to vaccinate. And so they really don't give complete information. Absolutely. Because I think that because doctors are socialized into the propaganda that vaccines cannot cause problems when a problem occurs due to a vaccine in their patient, they don't report it to the vaccine reporting system, the VAERS, and so the VAERS figures are woefully understated. Um, last I heard it was, you know, 10% or, or less of any right. side effects. And so when you go to your pediatrician, the pediatrician's literature and the pediatricians say, oh, it's, you know, one in whatever, a gazillion. I know, I'm just using that um, yeah. term hypothetically there. Um, and, and so the parent is not fully informed um, in order to make the most educated decision because the statistics aren't there. A friend of mine told me that um, um, a child got a five-in-one vaccine and the grandparents brought the child to the emergency room you know, due to the reaction. And uh, the emergency room categorically said it couldn't have been the vaccine. Uh, that child died. But So if doctors are socialized into thinking that vaccines can't do these things, they're not going to report it when vaccines do these things. You're right, Terry. You're absolutely right. And one of the striking things about these personal narratives across a number of different vaccine injuries in our book is that the doctors will claim to these patients who are suffering vaccine injury, clear vaccine injury, they'll say, you're faking it. It couldn't possibly be the vaccine. And that is a theme throughout the narrative, that doctors, A, don't seem to know what a vaccine injury looks like, and B, seem to be so deeply socialized in the miracle nature of vaccines that they're unwilling to believe their own eyes that the vaccine could cause such severe harm. Let's talk now about Captain Richard Rove. Um, why did you include him? What are the dangers he illuminates for the military and how basic rights are dispensed with? 
Um, the chapter by Richard Rove, with an afterword by his commanding officer, Colonel Felix Greeter, is about profound, pervasive vaccine injury in the Air Force. Um, and they are talking specifically about what was an experimental anthrax vaccine um, in the first Gulf War. And they observed really extraordinary, severe vaccine injury. And in, their, in that particular situation, the, the injury was compounded by the fact that the military would not acknowledge that they had used an experimental adjuvant called squalene, MS-59, in that vaccine. And it appears as if, based on the evidence that they accumulated, and it's in our book, it appears as if um, the military was, in fact, doing a controlled study on uh, members of the military. And so there have been investigations, but they have found no wrongdoing to date. And um, the, the chapter by Richard Grove is uh, an extraordinary plea for informed consent in the military and for transparency and for investigation. And also in the appendix, Terry, we include Richard Grove's uh, letter to his commanding officers um, outlining all of the damage from this. And I think this is a chapter that must be reopened. Um, and it's, he, he points out that, that people in the military, even more than children in school, are vulnerable to vaccine mandates, that people in the military really give up the right to refuse vaccines. And they are subjected to enormous numbers of vaccines because of the threat of bioterrorism, depending on where they're being deployed. And is, he describes that vaccine injury in the military is not an uncommon event and that to refuse vaccination in the military means that you lose your job, right, that you can get a dishonorable dis discharge from the military. So it highlights the extraordinary burden of the lack of health care freedom for those in the military. And you also talk about Lisa Smith, who nearly died from a flu shot. Lisa Smith's account is, a, is really extraordinary, Terry. This is a mom living in the Middle West. And she, uh, the Midwest, and she just goes into a pharmacy, as is now common, to get a flu shot. She was trying to protect her father, who was going to go in for surgery. And within a day or so, she became paralyzed. And much like we said before, she goes to the hospital. The doctors say, oh, it couldn't possibly be the vaccine. She has to switch to another hospital where she'll actually get decent care, because the first one assumes that she must be faking these paralytic symptoms. And fortunately, she finds a doctor who, who believes her that this has to have a vaccine injury, and she's treated effectively. It takes her about four years to recover. She develops symptoms from her vaccine that are very similar to autism symptoms. She has selective hearing. She has sensory integration dysfunction. She's very lucky that she basically recovers full functioning, um, not true of everybody with a vaccine injury. And she's also fortunate that her doctor explained to her how to file in the vaccine injury compensation program. So Lisa Mark Smith actually was paid out by the VICP. The government acknowledged that her injury, her paralysis over four years was due to her flu shot. And she received a couple hundred thousand dollars, which sounds like a lot of money, but it didn't even pay for all of her health-related expenses. Right. Well, Mary, let's pick up with this when we come back from break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, makers of fine digestive enzymes to complement your special diet. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the 
the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten, and Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. To perform at your maximum potential, you need to have all aspects of your life working properly. On mind, brain, and body, Dr. Michael John Kell will bring you honest, open discussions concerning your physical, mental, and financial health. If you're ready to find purpose and meaning in your life, tune in to Mind, Brain, and Body every Friday at 8 a.m. Pacific. Mind, Brain, and Body on Voice America Health and Wellness. Radio dedicated to your health, wealth, wisdom, and purpose. Most chronic health problems are caused by the interaction between genetic susceptibility and environmental exposure. This was defined 10 years ago by the Centers for Disease Control. Join Dr. Robin Bernhoft for 21st Century Medicine. We will cover the whole spectrum of chronic illness and little-known medical treatments that are being used to make you healthier. 21st Century Medicine airs live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Mary Holland, Director of the Graduate Legal Studies Program at New York University School of Law and the co-editor of the new book, Launching Tomorrow, Vaccine Epidemic, How Corporate Greed, Biased Science, and Coercive Government Threaten Our Human Rights, Our Health, and Our Children. And again, I encourage you to look for this at www.amazon.com or vaccineepidemic.com. Mary, Drawing upon the larger body of legal literature, would vaccines in general be found to be unavoidably unsafe? Yes, Carrie. Vaccines are considered unavoidably unsafe, like all prescription drugs. What's different is that vaccines are mandated for all children, uh, whereas prescription drugs, of course, are not. So let's now look to ethics. You cover... uh, the, the stories that we mentioned earlier, and you cover ethics in your book. In what ways are mandatory vaccines an inversion of medical ethics and human rights? We think so, Terry. There, there's an excellent chapter in our book by a human rights advocate around bioethics, Sarah um, Sharav, and she has uh, decades of experience in bioethics and rights. And her view is that... Um, you know, the Hippocratic Oath for doctors is to first do no harm and to serve the individual patient. And any time a doctor is really serving the state first, is, is, is complying with the state mandate rather than treating the individual patient, that is an inversion of medical ethics. Why should vaccination choice be a fundamental human right, Mary? We argue that it's a fundamental human right because it it implicates the most fundamental rights we have as human beings. It implicates the right to life, it implicates the right to liberty, and it implicates the security of the person. We know that in the current state of science, some people will die from vaccines. That, that is just a fact. It is, it is a fact that the government and science and medicine acknowledge. If that is true... How can, how can one be compelled to take that medical intervention without that being a violation of a fundamental right? We also talk in the book, Terry, about a 2005 UNESCO Declaration on Bioethics. And that declaration states that all human beings have the right to free and informed consent for all medical interventions, including preventive medical interventions. That covers vaccination. In other words, there are international human rights documents that we can rely on and draw on to make the case that this is a fundamental human right. 
And and U.S. law, Terry, does not really um, fail to recognize that it is a choice. It, as coercive as government policies are, the government does not line people up and force them to be vaccinated. It simply coerces our choices. It says you can't send your child to daycare. You can't send your child to school. But we call it the no choice choice. Um, it, there is government hypocrisy. They do acknowledge that there's a choice. They just make it very difficult for people to exercise. Good point. Good point. You were talking about a 2005 declaration, Mary, and we cut out there for one of the words. Can you name that again for us, please? Yes, the 2005 UNESCO Declaration on Bioethics and Medicine. Uh, and that's a declaration of, you know, tens of countries, including the United States, and it is a, a norm. It's not a treaty, but it's stating what should be the norm around medicine, and that is that people have the right to free and informed consent to all medical interventions. It used to be, Terry, right after World War II and the Nuremberg Code, that we recognized that people had a right to informed consent if they were going to be research subjects. That right has expanded over the last 60 years based on the notion that it's very hard to draw the line between research and treatment and that people need the right to inform consent for all medical interventions. Mm -hmm. Now, you mentioned the word gunpoint in there someplace. Does everybody in the world, including the United States, have vaccination choice? No. Um, <clears throat> well, in theory, I think most places do. There are some countries that don't have uh, compulsion for school. There are many countries that don't have that. Many countries that have a national health service do not have um, the same kinds of strictures that we do in the United States. But there are many countries that do give people much freer choice than we have in the United States. For instance, in the United Kingdom, there is a fundamental right stemming from the 19th century to vaccination choice. You can refuse vaccination. It does not have to be a religious exemption. In Sweden, in Japan, in many others, in Australia, in Canada, there is an absolute right of exemption from vaccination. Um, the United States is, is not sort of um, the most progressive in that way, Terry. I have actually heard some stories lately about, um, you know, people being lined up in in villages or, or somewhere um, on another continent to, to receive vaccines. Have you heard anything about this? I've heard rumors about this, Terry. I mean, I think there's always questions um, in a third-world environment where uh, civil liberties are often less well-recognized. I, I am always dubious about campaigns for vaccination and other things. I'm, I'm dubious that coercion isn't being used. And I have heard rumors that uh, in Africa, in order to get high compliance rates, that coercion is sometimes used. Let's let's go back to the United States. We touched upon earlier the illusory security blanket of the vaccine injury compensation program. Can you tell us about that and have any recent vaccine cases made you feel more optimistic or more pessimistic about the future? Yeah. Um <clears throat> So the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program was created by the 1980s law, and the trade-off was supposed to be that corporations would get limited liability, and in exchange, anybody who was injured by a vaccine would be able to get swift and generous compensation. And as I said before, the compromise hasn't worked very well. Corporations have gotten limited liability, but people who have vaccine injury are you know, four times out of five turned away by this vaccine injury compensation program. It's turned out to take decades to litigate cases. Uh, it's an extremely adversarial environment, and uh, it's, it's very tough. It's just very tough to prove vaccine injury because a lot of the science isn't there. This is not an area where there's complete science, Terry. Now, are there any decisions that make me more or less optimistic? I mean, I am a... I am a critic of this program. I think it has not served the country well at all. Uh, I am not um, a fan of the VICP. Um, I think that they are compensating more cases than they used to, Terry. I think that the way that they've handled autism in general and the omnibus autism proceeding was very distressing. Um, I think that uh, I, I just... 
I am not very optimistic in general about the VICP as it's currently constituted. Mary, you mentioned there's not enough science. However, aren't there roadblocks to science to the real meaty research getting done that would have helped these cases? I, I call this the politics of proof. You know, there's there's the politics on getting stuff published, um, published in peer-reviewed journals, what peer review means, et cetera. Um, I'd even go so far as to use the term good old boy networks or something. But do you think that there are roadblocks to science that work into that not enough science quote? Yes, Terry, absolutely. And I, I would point out that in our book, we have uh, two chapters that address this issue directly. One is called An Urgent Call for More Research by Carol Stott, an epidemiologist, and, and Andrew Wakefield. And they review the state of the science that suggests a link between vaccines and autism in particular. And there is significant science, and it's not just, you know, one article. There's science by Dr. Catherine DeSoto that looks at autism and heavy metal toxicity. There's toxicity. There are two scientific papers by two scientists, Gallagher and Goodman, that suggest a link between early vaccination in boys and autism or special education services down the road. Uh, there are two papers by Laura Hewitson looking at vaccination in primates that suggest that there are significant developmental delays. Um, they look at that body of science. And then there's a chapter by Andrew Wakefield himself about the suppression of science and talking about how there does appear to be uh, an active thwarting of science related to vaccine injury. I believe, Terry, that until um, the powers that be are willing to do the baseline study of vaccinated versus unvaccinated children um, and, and look at their health outcomes, total health outcomes five years out, until that is done, this debate will continue to rage. And I, uh, it is certainly damning to ask why has that study never been done? We've been using vaccines for hundreds of years. Why has a good study not been done comparing health outcomes? And I think it's going to have to be done because we're not going to resolve the science issues until it's done. And even the Institute of Medicine, Terry, and even Julie Gerberding, when she was head of the CDC, have said, yes, that should be done. There should be a controlled study of vaccination outcomes. Is that what you would identify as the main roadblock to progress in this arena? In the science, Terry, in the science, I don't see this as only a scientific issue. I, this is a human rights issue. I see this as an ethical issue. We know that vaccines can cause injury and death. Therefore, there must be choice. But in the area of science, I think parents want to know what is the risk-benefit trade-off. Everything has risks. I think we've understated the risks of vaccines. But it's not to say that measles aren't real risks. I mean, in fact, disease, pertussis, diphtheria, these are real risks. And parents can't make real informed choices until they get access to real science. And from my perspective, there is a lack of real science in this area. Absolutely well put. And with that, let's go to break at the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back with Mary Holland. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on 
the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten, and Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymedica.com. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. The Autism Hope Alliance is dedicated to the recovery of children and adults from autism. The goal of this nonprofit organization is to ignite hope for families facing the diagnosis through education and funding to promote progress today. Diet modification, biomedical intervention, and educational therapy have been shown to be successful tools on the path to recovery. Through these efforts, we believe hope will replace hopelessness. Recovery for our children is a reality. For more information, go to AutismHopeAlliance.org. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with NYU law professor Mary Holland, who co-edited the book, Vaccine Epidemic, How Corporate Greed, Biased Science, and Coercive Governments Threaten Our Human Rights, Our Health, and Our Children, with Louise Kuohobakis, and this was published by Skyhorse Publishing. You can find this at www.amazon.com, and don't forget to visit the website, vaccineepidemic.com. Well, Mary, you know, we talked about roadblocks to progress. What possible action can parents, advocates, and others take now? Well, I think just specifically, Terry, about one's own children. Uh, there's a very important chapter in the book by Louise Quohobacus, the other co-editor, and that's a chapter called What Should Parents Do? And it reviews eight different books on vaccination, and what it shows is the wide gamut of opinion that credible doctors have about vaccines, some that argue for the full schedule, some a reduced schedule, some a pushback schedule, some no schedule, and it gives you a flavor for these doctors' different arguments. And I think one of the takeaway messages from this book is nobody's going to do the homework for you, and you cannot assume that the information you're going to get from your local pediatrician is going to be complete or unbiased. So I think you have to do more homework. On the issue of vaccination choice, Terry, The book includes a number of uh, tools for advancing vaccination choice. We have a website for the Center for Personal Rights where you can download a, a PowerPoint, you can talk to friends, you can, you know, arrange for book groups, and there's a petition you can sign. All of those kinds of things are included in the appendices to the book. How many vaccines are children actually asked to receive today? We include, Terry, a copy of the Centers for Disease Control's current recommendations. And the Centers for Disease Control's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practices uh, recommends that children get 70 doses of 16 vaccines by the time that they're 18 years old. And we've, we touched upon this earlier, too, but let's just reemphasize it. Are vaccine exemptions available? A good question, Terry. Um, in theory... Medical exemptions are available in 50 states. That is a constitutional right. The problem is that uh, your medical exemption that, let's say, you get from your local pediatrician can be overridden by a state health official. Uh, Also, as we've discussed, doctors are predisposed not really to take very seriously um, predispositions that would suggest that you contraindications to vaccines. So a lot of doctors are not going to give you a medical exemption. In 48 states, there are religious exemptions. 
states have different thresholds for religious exemptions. In some states, they re- require you to belong to a um, a particular church. That you have to actually belong to a, a sort of an organized religion. In other states, it's your religious belief. Uh, in New York State, where I live, Terry, there are sincerity hearings. Um, a state, a school board, can actually have a hearing to assess the sincerity of your religious beliefs, which is rather extraordinary in this day and age. Uh, and 20 states, Terry, have philosophical exemptions. In 20 states, you don't have to state a religious reason for an exemption, and you can simply say, I don't choose to vaccinate my child, period, and, uh, and get that exemption. And that does cover a majority of the U.S. population. So, summing it up, I, I hope I can feel safe in, in saying that, uh, from what you've said, Mary, it doesn't seem like you think there's really enough science to feel confident in vaccine safety as a large-scale public health measure, and if that's the case, how can we protect informed consent and health choice? Well, I think parents, I, I think not just parents, I think people have to stand up for the right to informed consent. I, I think that we have to do that, and um, that means that we have to support more science, uh, and I think it means that we have to insist on our right to choose. And as I say, the government doesn't say that you don't have that right. They just make it very difficult to exercise. So I think we need to learn what our rights are, and I think we need to use them to the extent that we feel like that's in our best interest or our children's best interest. Absolutely. So, Mary, where can listeners look for further information on this, and do you have any special events coming up? Um, it, readers can certainly, listeners can certainly go to the website for the book, uh, www.vaccineepidemic.com. It gives recent reviews. It gives more information. Uh, the book itself has has extensive footnotes, Terry, and appendices, so it leads to lots of other reading for people who are interested in this question. And we do have an upcoming event um, a week from Friday in New York City on February 18th, Friday, February 18th, at NYU. Uh, we have a symposium from 6.30 to 8.30, and many of the contributing authors will be there. And more information is on the website for the book, vaccineepidemic.com. Well, Mary, I want to thank you for keeping up the good fight and standing on the side of integrity and information and the protection of public health. Thank you, Terry, for having me. And to our listeners, if you haven't heard, registration to the Autism One Generation Rescue 2011 conference is free. That's right. The registration fee is free to hear approximately 150 speakers over five days with tracks like the budget track and the seizures tracks. Rooms with two beds in the discounted hotel block at the conference hotel are almost gone. There are many special features of this conference, like four hours of open bar with purchase of a dinner ticket, spa night, and dad's night out. The keynote will feature Byron Katie and Jenny McCarthy, and Mary Holland and her colleagues will be there. Mary will be speaking on Thursday and Friday. Please visit www.autism1.org. We hope to see you there. For questions about this program, please email me at taranga at autism1.org. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica, makers of fine digestive enzymes to complement your special diet. And thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Enzymedica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.